welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. And we're going to find ourselves here this morning in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number four. And uh, we're starting to tie all of this up here uh, in the end here of... uh, Paul's uh, command about rejoicing always, about um, telling us that uh, we need to be content. Whatever situation he found himself in, he was content. And um, the past couple weeks, uh, we've been talking about uh, contentment. And I I told you that uh, Webster's Dictionary defines contentment as the state or quality of being satisfied, not displeased. But that definition can also be used of both complacency or even sometimes temporary, something that's very temporary. And everyone has times in our lives that when things go the way that they like, they're pleased, right? I mean, when everything's going well, there's no problems, we're happy. Uh, But then when there's a problem, Uh, then all of a sudden we find ourselves we're not happy, we're not rejoicing, we're not content. And uh, that's what we have to deal with because God's word tells us that uh, Paul said, I have learned whether I've abased or I'm abounding, uh, whether I'm hungry or I'm well fed. uh, He says, I have learned in whatever situation that I have found myself in, I have learned how to be content. And uh, we talked a little bit last week about the uh, secret of contentment. And uh, God's word here talks about the type of contentment that we need to have. And the contentment that we must have is it's based on something far beyond the temporary world that we live in. Uh, Paul said that uh, the secret of contentment is that I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Um, So when Paul talks about contentment, he is talking about not needing help from the outside. And that's so many times what we find ourselves in, that we are desiring help from the outside in order to make us happy. Only if I get that job, then I will be happy. Only if my marriage was like theirs, I would be happy. Only if my, whatever you can throw in there, um, we're seeking help from the outside in order for us to be content. And so we have to really dig in here and and understand that if we're going to be content, we can be content. And it is only through Christ, which strengthens us, that we can be content. And we don't need help from the outside. And so we have to think biblically about all of these things. We got to have a biblical mindset. Remember I told you a few weeks ago about people that have a, a, a worldly view of, of life, you know, whether they're seeking uh, certain types of situations, seeking types of things, they have a worldly mindset. And, and many times, even after we've come to know Christ, we still fall into those types of thinking. And so that's why we always got to be constantly renewing our mind through the word of God. So that way we have correct biblical thinking of how to be content in life, how to rejoice always in, in whatever situation that we find ourselves in. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you for today. God's word gives me the answers to be content in any situation. 
God's word gives me the answers to be content in any situation. Now, last week I did pass out uh, some little uh, slips of paper here about, um, you know, an area I struggle with in being content is. How many of you filled one of these out a little bit? Okay, nobody did it. Well, it looks like we're done for today. No, just kidding. I prepared. Don't worry. <laughs> but you need to learn how to be content in in and every situation. And I gave you many of those situations that uh, many times uh, people have found themselves in. These are true situations that um, people uh, deal with. It could be things like... Um, Nobody likes me. It could be things like uh, you go outside and somebody's crashed into your car. Uh, it could be things like, uh, you know, um, your child dies. It could be, uh, you know, you have a, a terminal disease. It could be you have a physical handicap. It could be that your spouse has a terminal disease. These are real life situations. It could be that you uh, just found out you lost your job. These are real life situations that we can be content in through what God's word teaches us and how we can be content uh, in those situations. So I wanna give you a few principles here, but let's look at our scripture here. And I'll give you some principles about being content in whatever situation you find yourself, how to actually do that, put it into practice. So Philippians 4:10 uh, through 19, let's read it together here. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So remember what the definition for the word for contentment here means, is to be self-sufficient, not needing assistance from outside. And so because Jesus Christ is... Because Jesus Christ is sufficient in and for all things, as I walk with him, I am in need of no other assistance in life. Is Jesus Christ sufficient enough for your Christian life? We all should be saying, yes, he is. The problem, however, is we say that, but we really don't believe that. And it's evidence because of the way that we live. We still continue to live in the same type of living, the same type of mindset that non-believers live like. So we have to actually put action to what we believe. So if we say that Jesus Christ is, is sufficient enough for me, if Jesus Christ is enough for me in order in when I'm facing all these situations in my life that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, then we actually have to put God's word into practice and actually live it out. And remember, I told you last time 
that God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power, but we're not exercising it. We're not actually using it to our advantage. Uh, it's not just enough to say, I have the Holy Spirit. We actually have to put that into practice and we do that through the word of God. God's word is always done and it's always coupled with our actions, what we are doing. Um, I gave you an example last week about um, Joshua. It's, it's one thing for Joshua to have seen the parting of the Red Sea. It's one thing for Joshua to have seen all the, the, the glorious things that happened, but then God actually commanded Joshua and says, okay, Joshua, now you are commanded to actually go and lead. Now, Joshua could have just said, oh, Lord, I believe it. I believe it. I believe you're going to help us go in there. We're going to go and fight the, uh, uh, all, the, all the people of Canaan, and we're going we're gonna to conquer. I believe it. But if he wouldn't have done anything, if he would actually put that faith into action, it would have been a no good. So we can believe things all we want to, but until we actually put that faith into action and actually live out God's word and be obedient to the teachings of God's word, it does us no good. And so principles of contentment here, when we're talking about contentment, it's very important for us to understand um, the, 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 the principles. And so if you came and we were having a discussion and you, you said, Mike, I, I'm, I'm dealing with this situation and I, I'm very upset with this situation. I'm, I'm having a hard time dealing with this. I don't know what to do. I'm at wit's end here. What, what, what can I do? If we were to sit down and talk, these are some of the principles that I would give you to help you learn how to be content in, in every situation uh, in life. And this will help you think biblically. So here's the principles. Number one, by remembering who God is and what he has done. You must remember who God is and what he has done. So if we're going to be thinking about, here's the situation that I'm involved with, I need to remember who God is and what he has done. Well, who is God? Well, he's the eternal creator who is holy, he's just, he's pure, he's righteous, he's good, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's loving, he's kind, he's sovereign, he's all-wise, all-knowing, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's unchanging, he's true, and he's the giver and the sustainer of life. I need to remember who God is. And what has God done? Well, he's the source of physical life, he's the source of my salvation, he is uh, the source of love to sinners. He's a source of hope. He's the source of the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so I need to remember these things when I am faced in a situation that has got me really flustered in life. I need to remember, number one, who God is and what he has done. Second principle, I must be obedient to follow him. And so this is doing what he commands, obeying God. What scriptural principles apply in this situation? That's where I go to the word and I find out what does God's word say about this situation? What does God's word say about this circumstance? How can I obediently follow God in what is happening here? And so regardless of the emotions involved, you must not shy away from the troubles and the trials of life. You must face them head on. 
uh, with submission to the commands, principles, and precepts of God's word. Some of the principles that we can remember and use in every circumstance, and these are things that I use uh, every time I'm doing any type of counseling with people that are having difficult situations in life. Uh, some of them, uh, for example, just even going through Romans 5, uh, that tells us a lot about uh, there's always hope because the love of God has been proved in Jesus Christ. I think many times when we find ourselves in a certain situation where it's dark and it's uh, very oblique and it just seems like there's no way out, it seems like there's no hope, well, let's go back to Romans 5. Let's remind ourselves that in that while we were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. And it's a good reminder that there is always hope because if God loved me, God cared enough about me, even though yet while I was a sinner, surely he's not just gonna say, well, sorry, uh, you're all on your own, right? No, there's always hope. And I can remind myself of the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. Uh, secondly, uh, James 1, God uses the trials of life to test our faith and mature us, making us more like Jesus Christ. Uh, I think there is a very popular teaching within Christianity today, American Christianity, and it's the fact that, uh, well, once you get saved, you're not gonna have any problems in life. Everything's gonna be wonderful. And uh, that's just not the case. Uh, we still have trials, we still have difficulties, and uh, the things that God allows and permits to come into our life are for our strengthening, they're for our good. It's there to help us mature us in Jesus Christ. Uh, thirdly, God is sovereign. He works all situations for good. That's Romans 8, 28. A teaspoon of baking. All things work together for good to those that love God. How many of you like taking a teaspoon of baking soda and eating it? Okay, one of you, all right. Um, how many of you like to eat a teaspoon of chocolate chips? Okay, we all like the sweet stuff, right? But we don't like the bitter stuff. But did you know if you take chocolate chips and the baking soda and some eggs and some flour and all that kind of stuff and you mix it all together, guess what you get? You get some good cookies, that's right, okay? Unless you put too much baking soda in it. You could ask my wife about that one, but anyways. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But the thing is the fact that God causes all things to work together for good. And so that's a good principle to remember. Uh, fourthly, God always provides a way to endure through or escape all temptations that we face in life. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that he will not suffer us to be tempted of anything that we can endure. He always provides a way of escape. And so our Lord helps us through all those things. And these are principles that we can remember scripturally, what does God command? What are the principles that we can apply in our life? So we got by remembering who God is, what he's done, by doing what he commands, obeying God. Thirdly, recognize that God is sovereign and choose to rejoice. There it is, regardless of your circumstances. I mean, that's what Paul says. He says, uh, you know, rejoice, rejoice. He's, it's a command. You got to rejoice. So even in the midst of the difficult circumstance, we must choose to rejoice. And uh, this is a yielding to God's sovereignty in your life. When we talk about sovereignty, we're meaning that God is in control. God is in control of everything. And so if we are going to yield ourselves to his control even though we may not like the circumstance, even though our emotions are there, they're raw, they're real, there's hurt, there's disappointment, there's grief, 
All of that is real. We're not negating any of that, but we're choosing to yield ourselves, our emotions, our spirit to God and choosing to rejoice regardless of the circumstance. And so we should have the attitude of, Lord, thank you that I am here. Thank you for bringing this into my life. Thank you for permitting this into my life because you're in control of everything and I trust you that you're gonna do what you're gonna be doing and the outcome is gonna be for your glory. So even the trials that come are to be seen as something that God can use to change us, to make us more mature is what James 1 stated. Uh, we are to be con considering our trials to be all joy because they test your faith, producing endurance and maturity. And uh, we are to be exulting in our tribulations as what uh, Romans 5 teaches us uh, through all of that. So now let's look at some real life situations and see how these truths can be put into practice. So if we take these principles here, remembering who God is, what he's done by doing what he commands, obeying God, recognizing that God is sovereign and bowing our knee to his sovereign control in our life, choosing to rejoice. Let's see some real life principles and how these things actually apply and that God's word does have the answer to every situation uh, in our life. So contentment in my relationships. And this is gonna cover quite a, a wide variety of different things, but uh, we'll talk about a couple of these and maybe some of these things that you've actually dealt with in your own life that you've had a hard or difficult time with, where you found it hard to actually be rejoicing, where you found it hard where you could actually be content with the situation that was going on. So here's a good one. Number one, how about people that do not like you? This could be coworkers, uh, people at school. How about your neighbors, people that just do not like you? Right? We have a hard time with, with the relationships, people saying things and doing things, and boy, it just seems like there's tension, and man, we just have a hard time. How can I be content in that situation? You know, there's nothing more that bugs me the most than people that do not like me. That's hard for me. That's really hard. So how can I be content when people don't like me? Well, Here's, let's go through the principles. Who is God? Well, Genesis 1 reminds us about who God is. He's my creator. God is my creator. God is the one who created me, not them. God created me. What has he done for you? Well, he loved me while I was yet a sinner and he redeemed me through Christ. That's Romans 5.8. So who actually does love me? Who actually does care for me? God does. And even if the people that I'm dealing with in life don't like me, I must remind myself that God is my creator and God is the one who redeemed me and loved me. And so what biblical principles apply here? Well, Galatians 1.10 is a good principle for us. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's a good one to remind ourselves. Remember, am I trying to please that individual, make them like me, make them want to have a, a desire to be like, oh man, that person, I just really, 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 really like them. Well, guess what? You're gonna disappoint a lot of people. And I have found that even when you want to follow God's word and you want to live the Christian life, you're still going to disappoint a lot of people. And so we have to apply these biblical principles to our life. Am I trying to please them or am I trying to please God? Am I seeking to be a man pleaser 
or am I seeking to be a God pleaser? And he says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be the servant of Christ. Romans 12, 18, here's another one. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So even if there's a situation where people don't like me or there's things that are going on, am I doing my part in trying to be at peace with that individual? Is there something that I'm holding back that I'm not doing what I should be doing? I mean, if you're purposely going over to your neighbor and you guys have kind of had a little spat and you go over there and you throw your grass clippings over there in his yard, okay? Well, guess what? There's probably gonna be some trouble, all right? Maybe you need to stop doing that. Maybe you need to be seeking to live at peace with him, okay? So these are things that you gotta do. These are things that you gotta actually apply and put into practice. So are you doing your part to resolve any conflicts? How can you obey him? It hurts to not be liked, but you can be content in God's love for you. You gotta remind yourself that God loves me. He's my creator. He redeemed me. You're to do your best to be at peace with those people. You may need to talk with them, but if it relates to your following God, then he must be first in everything. You must strive to be a good testimony for him and be content in pleasing him. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, love your what? Enemies and do what? Pray for them. So if you're having problems with people and when those people come to your mind, instead of dwelling on everything that they do and how much it upsets you and how mad you get when you see them, what are you supposed to be doing? Praying for them instead. That's what God's word teaches us that we are supposed to be doing. Here's the second one. Your in-laws don't like you and try to interfere in your marriage. That's a big one, isn't it? By your laughing, I can probably think that that probably happens more often than not. Or your parents don't like your spouse and they interfere. These are real life problems. How can we be content in these situations? Well, let's go through the principles here. Who is God? Well, Matthew 6, 9, he is your father who is in heaven. What has he done for you? Ephesians 1, 5, he has adopted you into his family. He predestinated us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. So when we're having difficulties and problems with the in-laws, okay, what do, need, what do we need to remind ourselves is? We need to remind ourselves that, hey, God is my father. I've been adopted into God's family. Jesus even said it himself uh, very clearly when he was out uh, healing and teaching and doing stuff. He forgot to eat. And he was in a crowded house there. And his mom sent, Jesus' mom sent his brothers to go and find him and bring him back home because he's out of his mind. They literally said that. They said, he's out of his mind. And so what does Jesus do? He says, they say, uh, Jesus, your, your brothers are here. They're, they're looking for you. They, they want you to go, go and go talk to them. And he says, who are my brothers and sisters? Those that do the will of God are my brothers and my sisters. And so you're gonna find yourself, even as a believer in Christ, if you're gonna be following after Jesus Christ, 
that within your family, there are gonna be things that are gonna happen that people do not like, even your own family members do not like. And you have to determine your, to yourself to say, listen, I follow Jesus Christ. Even if you don't like it, I follow Jesus Christ. He is my father. I've been adopted into his family. And you have to put these principles into place. So what biblical principles apply here? Well, Ephesians 6 uh, to Exodus 20, 12, it tells us that we are to honor our parents, which I believe also includes that of our spouses. So even if we have a in-law, a mother and a father there that you know, just kind of really grits on your teeth, you're supposed to honor them. Do you know what it means to honor somebody? It doesn't mean that you do everything that they want to do. It doesn't mean that you agree with them. What it means to honor somebody, it means to value or to treasure them. And so if we are going to be honoring our parents, we value them, we treasure them. We don't treat them like dirt. We don't treat them like garbage. We value and we treasure them. Now we may not like what they say. And so, okay, all right, thank you but we don't have to listen to everything they say, but we still value and we treasure them as human beings that are created in the image of God. We are to do our best in maintaining a blameless conscience before God and before men, Acts 24, 16. The husband-wife relationship is the priority for the man is to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And those two become one flesh. That's what Genesis teaches. And that's what uh, Jesus taught in Matthew 19, 5 and Genesis 2, 24. And so if God has joined you, husband and wife together, okay? Uh, I, I read an article uh, focused on the family. They had a really good article about this, about dealing with in-laws. And it basically talked about that you as the husband need to be putting in boundaries or borders to protect your family. So if God has joined husband and wife together, let no man put asunder. If you have an in-law who is trying to drive a wedge between your relationship, you better, husband, better protect that relationship. And you have to put up boundaries or fences to protect it. And so it's very important to understand that with a principle like that. Matthew 19, 6, what God has joined together, no man is to separate that. How can you obey him? Well, try to resolve whatever situation or problem there is with the in-laws. Warn them about interfering in the marriage and what consequences may come if it continues. Keep the priority of your marriage. Be content in being part of God's family while fulfilling God's role for your family. So these are real life situations that we can put in biblical principles to. And, you know, I will say this, that I think a lot of times people have this thinking that they say, okay, well, the, the Bible says to do this and I did that, but it doesn't work. Well, how many times did you do it? Well, just once. <laughs> well, you do realize you have to continue keep doing this, right? Like it's a continual process. It's not just enough to say, okay, well, the Bible says that I need to pray about, you know, my situation. So I prayed about it, but nothing happened. It didn't work. Well, you got to continue, continue doing it. And so you got to continually be putting these principles into practice. You have to make it a habit and a lifestyle change in that. Here's the third one. 
Your spouse is not satisfying. He or she is not romantic. I come home and he's sitting there on the couch in his underwear and eating peanut butter off of a knife. It's pretty gross. It's not romantic anymore. He or she does not please you and you want something different. The grass is greener on the other side. You know why? Because the septic system's over there. So we have to remind ourselves some principles here of what God's word teaches. So who is God? Well, the one who gave you life. Job 33, 4, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. Matthew 19, 6, what has he done for you? He joined you together. So what biblical principles apply here? Well, Ephesians 5, 25, all the way through uh, Ephesians uh, 6, talks about the roles that God has designed for the marriage in order to work well and to work properly. And so within a marriage, if you're having difficulties within the marriage, uh, if both of the believers are Christians, they know Jesus, then it's very important that each one fulfills their role of doing what they're supposed to be doing. Husbands do what? Love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for it. Uh, We are to be sanctifying our wives through the washing of the water of the word of God. Uh, Wives, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be what? Submitting, being obedient to our husbands. Now that's not just saying like, all right, fix me a ham sandwich, do this, do that, do that. No, when we talk about submission within the marriage, we're talking about as God is working through your husband, and as that husband has taken on the leadership role of leading the family spiritually, you, wife, you come alongside there and you are obedient to his leading. It's not a domineering thing, but it's the fact of you being obedient to what God has told you to do as your husband is leading spiritually, leading the family there. What are the children supposed to be doing? obeying their parents. It's all contained within there, the roles that God has designed for that. So wives are to submit to and respect their husbands. Husbands are to live with her in an understanding way. That's 1 Peter 3, 7, that your prayers would not be hindered. Uh, So that means husbands that we actually do listen to what our wives say. Uh, We don't write it off as being a nag. We actually listen to what our wives are saying. We listen to their concerns. And uh, we live with them in an understanding way. Wives are supposed to win him without a word by their chaste and respectful behavior. That's 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. And uh, really, I would say also that uh, if you're having difficulties within the marriage and there's not contentment there, I, I think that there should be a call to remember the gospel. So, for example, you have a situation where a husband and wife, they're at each other's throats. Uh, you know, he doesn't listen to me. She doesn't listen to me. He doesn't respect me. He doesn't, you know, whatever. Everything's going on there. There's a call to remember the gospel. And that is the fact that God has dealt with us with what? Grace and mercy. And how are we supposed to deal with people? With grace and mercy. Because Romans uh, uh, 5 reminds us and says that in that while we were yet a sinner, 
Christ died for us. And so there needs to be a reflection on the gospel and be content with the situation uh, that's going on. So how can you obey him in that thing? Well, fulfill the role that God has given you. Be more concerned about your pleasing God and your spouse than about your spouse pleasing you. I often tell uh, couples that are going through premarital counseling, I'm gonna be doing a a wedding here, coming up here at the end of uh, July. And... um, I often tell them, I say, this is not about you trying to change your spouse. This is about you serving your spouse, about you doing everything that you can to please your spouse, even if they don't please you, okay? It's you extending that grace and that mercy and and living the, the gospel towards the other individual. So find your contentment in seeing God at work in you and through you and in them. How about this one? You're married to a non-Christian. They do not share your beliefs and values. Why doesn't God save that person or loved ones? Can we be content in those situations? Absolutely. What do we do? Well, we remind ourselves who is God, the sovereign one who chooses people in Christ before the foundation of the world, that they should be holy and blameless before him in love. That's Ephesians 1.4. What has he done for you? Well, he has saved you and has offered salvation to all who believe. John 3.15, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. 1 John 2, 1, he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And so what biblical principles apply if you're married to a non-Christian? I mean, things are hard. They don't share the same values as you do. They're lost. They need Christ. Well, James 5, 1, 6, or 5, 16. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So what should we be doing? Praying for our lost spouse, praying that they would come to know Christ. Luke 18, one through eight talks about, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And so it's important that we continue to pray. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, uh, all the way through uh, chapter 3, verse number 1. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So if you're a wife and you have a disobedient husband who does not know Christ, What you're supposed to be doing is you should be praying for them, but also that is by your chaste conversation with them, okay? They see God working in you and they will be one without a word. They will see the grace of God at work in you as you are submitting to them and following them and listening to them. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. How can you obey him? Well, continue to be patient, continue to be fervent in prayer, continue to live out the truth of the gospel before them. Let your life match your words. Be content that the longing you feel for their salvation is akin in God's love for them. 
2 Corinthians uh, 5.20 points out that we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so you can be content when you see yourself as God's messenger of mercy and that God has put me in this marriage, God has saved me for this purpose, that I be content and I pray for my, my spouse. I pray that uh, God would, would work in their heart, work in their life, and I'm gonna be obedient. I'm gonna listen to what they say. And as God is working in them and working through me, I'm an ambassador of mercy towards them. And God works through all these situations. And it's not, remember, it's not just a one thing. Well, I tried it, it doesn't work. God's word does work, but we have to stay consistently at it. Before I came to know Christ, I, I remember this. I sat under uh, teaching, preaching of the gospel. Uh, the place that I was at was a, was a home for, uh, for drug addicts. And um, it was like a, uh, like a faith-based uh, 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 mission type thing that they had. It was a one-year program, kind of like, like the spa type thing that you would have. Um, so I sat there and I listened to preaching and teaching for six months. We had, uh, I ended up getting, it was like 13 years of church in one year, right? It's a lot, right? We had to memorize scripture every month, do all this kind of stuff. And I heard the gospel every single week, every single week. And it wasn't until June, I think it was like uh, June 26, 2002. It was like the light bulb came on and finally, oh, that's me. I need Christ, right? And I came across a verse uh, over there in Isaiah, uh, or is Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah. Anyways, it says that, is not my word like a hammer which breaks the rocks into pieces? And I wanna tell you something that in whatever situation that you find yourself in where you are being discontent, if you follow the biblical principles of God's word and you follow what God's word has to say, God's word is gonna be like a hammer and it's just gonna be breaking rock, breaking rock. You can't stop. You gotta keep following God's word, God's principles to help you through those situations. And God's word will accomplish what it's been sent to do. No, make no doubt about it, okay? We're gonna talk some more about some other things. And uh, I wanna encourage you, if you have a situation that you're discontent in, okay, write it down and we'll talk about it, okay? And you can give those to me and we'll, we'll, we'll get some of those uh, things there together. And I got, I got more here, you know, things about... Uh, you lose your job, um, things about, uh, you know, if your spouse has a, has a terminally ill disease, uh, if you have a disease, you know, whatever it may be, okay? And we'll talk about these, how you can be content in those situations, but let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.